In August 1972, a young mother vanishes without a trace while her husband and three-year-old son are out for the day. Police had their doubts that she would walk away from her life and believe the husband knew more than he was telling. Almost 50 years later, she has yet to be found. This is The Disappearance of Lynn Schuler. On the afternoon of August 6, 1972, Eloise and Harry Tickner were on vacation at a lake they had frequented in northern Minnesota when they received a call from their son-in-law, Keith Schuler. Nothing could prepare them for what he was about to say. Their daughter, Lynn, was missing. Keith told them he had left earlier that morning with the couple's three-year-old son, Eric, to take him fishing and swimming, but once they returned, he realized that Lynn was gone. The Tickners immediately packed up and headed south to Lynn County in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to help locate their missing daughter. Lynn and Keith had met 12 years earlier while on vacation with their families at the same lake in northern Minnesota. Lynn was just 13 and Keith was 19. Apparently, they hit it off right away, and at the end of their vacations, Lynn stayed with her family in Minnesota and Keith returned to Cedar Rapids. Lynn was born and raised in a Minneapolis suburb in Minnesota, and Keith's family lived in Cedar Rapids. From there, the two began a long-distance relationship. Now, as far as I am concerned, I cannot fathom how a 19-year-old man would be attracted to a 13-year-old girl, but Lynn's family has never expressed whether they felt uncomfortable with their relationship or whether they had tried to interfere with their relationship because of their ages. But regardless, Lynn and Keith continued their relationship for over five years, and then the two tied the knot on September 18th of 1965, when Lynn was 18 and Keith was 26. After getting married, Lynn moved with Keith to Cedar Rapids, and after just over three years into their marriage, the couple welcomed their son Eric into the world in January of 1969. According to the family, their relationship by all accounts was a great marriage with no major problems, but that would all change in 1971, when out of the blue, Keith asked Lynn for a divorce. It has never been revealed why Keith asked Lynn for a divorce, and it may be possible that she didn't really know either. But Lynn refused and told her mom she had hoped to work things out for the sake of their son. It seemed Keith had other plans, and he didn't give up. Throughout the entire year, he continued to press Lynn for a divorce, but every single time she said no. Things took a little darker turn in early 1972, about two months before Lynn disappeared, when Eloise said she had received a letter in the mail from her daughter. In the letter, Lynn said that Keith had threatened to kill her, but then told her mom not to worry that Keith would never do anything like that. According to an article by Jeff Burnham in the Cedar Rapids Gazette, Eloise said, quote, you never believe anything like that is going to happen in your own family. So I threw the letter away. So after one year of Lynn refusing Keith's request for a divorce, and just two months after Lynn sent her mother a letter that Keith threatened to kill her, the 25-year-old mother is now missing, and the last person to see her alive was the very man who wanted out of the marriage.
According to Keith, he had gotten up that morning to take the couple's three-year-old son, Eric, fishing. From my sources, I couldn't find anything to determine either way if this was something that Keith had planned in advance or just something that he had woken up that morning and decided to do. He said that Lynn was sleeping when they had left, which was around 7.30 a.m. Keith then took Eric fishing and they arrived back at the house five hours later around 12.30 p.m. and noticed that Lynn and her bicycle were gone. Keith assumed that Lynn went to the market, so he left her a note and he decided to take Eric to Beaver Park to go swimming, which was a couple of miles away. He said the two stayed at the park for about an hour and then returned home again. This time, Lynn's bike was there in the front yard, lying on its side, but he couldn't find Lynn anywhere. Her purse and all of her belongings were there. There had been no signs of forced entry and nothing inside the home had seemed to be disturbed. That's when Keith called his in-laws to tell them he couldn't find her. According to the source material, Keith called others as well, but it was never specified besides the Tickners who he had called that day. Once Harry and Eloise arrived, they began searching but ended up finding no sign of Lynn. The next day, Lynn had not returned home, so Keith called the Lynn County Sheriff's Office to report his wife missing around 2 p.m. There is no information that specifically says that Keith was required to wait 72 hours to report his wife missing, which I had talked about briefly in last week's episode, but police didn't conduct a full-scale ground search till four days later on August 11th. During the search, about 50 law enforcement officers, civil air patrol members, and civilian volunteers searched about a square mile of area on foot near the Schuler home based on Lynn's typical route to the market, looking for freshly turned earth, piles of wilting weed or brush, and articles of clothing Lynn was last seen wearing. According to the description provided to police, Lynn was last known to be wearing green shorts, a green striped top, and white tennis shoes. Lynn's physical description was provided as 5 feet 5 inches tall, about 120 pounds, strawberry blonde hair, and brown eyes. Lynn also wore brown horn-rimmed glasses, and she had a fair complexion. According to Lynn County Sheriff Walter Grant, Keith Schuler stopped cooperating with officials almost immediately after he reported Lynn missing, which would become very evident in the upcoming weeks of the investigation. The family and law enforcement had a feeling from the very beginning that foul play was involved and they zoned in on the husband, which, as we all know, is one of the first people that police will question. Even Keith told police that he suspected foul play because of the fact that Lynn's bike had been found lying on the ground. He claimed she took very good care of her bike and wouldn't have left it in that condition. Eloise said she had just spoken with Lynn the previous Tuesday and there didn't seem to be anything wrong. She seemed happy and was planning a vacation in Minnesota to spend time with her parents. Interviews conducted by police of neighbors, co-workers, and family described Lynn as a quiet person with almost no social life, who stayed at home when she wasn't working, and after having her son, she devoted her entire life to raising him. She just wasn't the type of person who would leave home willingly. Lynn had a job as a bookkeeper at Life Investors Company and was well-liked by all her co-workers. The week following the ground search, police requested permission from Keith to do a search inside the home and around the property. But according to Keith, based on the advice of his attorney, he declined police access to the residence and surrounding property. The county attorney at the time, William Fascius, said they had concluded on Friday, August 25th, after three weeks of investigation, sufficient evidence had been obtained to request a search warrant of the Schuler residence at 3100 30th Street Drive Southeast. 
The warrant was granted on the 25th and was executed the following Monday. Items seized from the search included a snow shovel, spade, two knives, and a machete. From all items taken from the home, several items were sent to the state crime lab for further analysis, including two shovels that had dirt on them. An expert from the state crime lab confirmed that the dirt on these two shovels came from soil located in two eastern Iowa counties other than Lynn County. It was never reported which counties the expert determined the soil to be from or whether the police searched any additional counties for Lynn. As suspicious as this may look, Keith Schuler worked in construction, so it could also be likely the dirt on the shovels found by investigators could have been from his job. The day after the home search, sheriffs returned to the Schuler residence and asked Keith to help in searching an area of woods near the home, but Keith refused, stating he had already searched the area once and found nothing. In a very bold move by the sheriff's department, they arrested Keith and charged him with refusing to assist officers. It seemed to be very clear at this point to police that Lynn wouldn't run away, and with Keith refusing them every step of the way, made it more and more likely that he was hiding something. While Keith was on his way to jail, the sheriffs got right to work and brought in two specialists and took aerial and infrared photos of a 10-mile radius surrounding the residence. Up till this point, law enforcement had only been able to conduct ground searches in locations near the Schuler home, but not actually on the property. But by the time they had received the search warrant, Lynn had been missing for over three weeks. The infrared photos had indicated four distinct areas of interest where it appeared that the ground had been disturbed. The most promising was a rectangle shape measuring four feet by seven feet. Police investigated and what they found was buried garbage. And the other three locations turned up nothing as well. In total, Lynn County Sheriff's Office and other volunteers had searched 500 acres on foot and 1,500 acres by air, but not one single clue ever surfaced that could point to Lynn's whereabouts. It was as though she had just vanished into thin air. Keith Schuler got out of jail on a $500 bond later the afternoon on the day he was arrested, and less than two weeks later, he had the sheriff's department back in court requesting the release of the items from the search returned back to him if there had been no evidentiary value. There didn't seem to be any follow-up regarding the outcome of this particular case, but it was reported that in December of the same year, the charges against Keith for refusing to assist officers in their investigation had been dropped due to lack of evidence. As time went by and still no sign of Lynn, the residents of Cedar Rapids started to come to their own conclusion. Aside from Keith's suspicious behavior, he was also the owner of a six-foot alligator named Pogo and two large snakes. Grotesque rumors began to circulate that Keith had killed Lynn, chopped her up, and fed her to his gator and snakes. The police claimed that these rumors leaned on the realm of impossibility because the alligator and snakes would have been too small to consume a human body. I don't know what kind of snakes Keith had owned, but for sake of argument, let's take a look at the alligator theory. According to an online article, alligators are considered opportunistic hunters and eaters, and if they came across a dead animal or even a dead body, they would most likely consume it. Alligators are also said to be scared of humans, but keeping one as a pet takes that fear away, and when a person feeds an alligator, they then associate people with food. 
In 2018, a news article by the Tampa Bay Times described that any alligator that is larger than four feet poses a threat to people, pets, or property. The article also described a situation where a 24-year-old woman had been bathing in a lake at about 1 a.m. when an alligator jumped out, grabbed her arm, and attempted to pull her under the water. Her friend that was with her saved her from the gator, and the woman received treatment at a local hospital for her injuries. The alligator involved in the attack was believed to be about six feet long. So although this theory seems incredibly far-fetched, is it really out of the question that this scenario could be possible? The next thing to question is whether Keith had the know-how to basically dismember Lynn's body at all. And to answer that, Keith had also served as a medic in the Army for three years, which means he would have likely had some knowledge of human anatomy, including wound care and amputation. When the searches and tips coming in virtually stopped, Lynn's parents decided to put her name back into the spotlight, hoping for answers. In August of 1973, the Tickners, along with their attorney, held a news conference offering a $1,000 reward to anyone who could provide information that would lead to locating Lynn. So by now, if you are thinking there is absolutely no way Keith can make himself look any more suspicious than he already has, you would be wrong because Lynn's parents received word that Keith was attempting to file for divorce in Lynn County from his wife on the grounds that she had abandoned him. Harry and Eloise hired a lawyer to represent their daughter for the proceedings, but when it became evident to Keith that he would have to testify regarding the circumstances of Lynn's disappearance, he dropped the case. But this wasn't the only time he filed. In fact, between 1972 and 1976, he filed for divorce a total of seven times. But Lynn's parents were not going to give up without a fight and hired a lawyer every time he filed and every single time Keith dropped the case. Then in 1979, Harry and Eloise received information from an attorney in Dubuque County, about 100 miles away, that Keith had gone there to file his divorce and the judge granted it back in 1976. And not only that, the attorney also told them that two years later, in 1978, Keith had filed to have Lynn declared legally dead in the same county, and the judge granted it without her parents' knowledge on March 20th of 1978. The life insurance named the beneficiary as her son, Eric, but because he would have only been around eight or nine at the time, Keith was named the conservator. Now, this absolutely blows my mind that Keith was able to go to a judge and say, I want a divorce. My wife abandoned me. And two years later, go back to the same county and say, well, we haven't heard from her in six years. Can we declare her legally dead? All while her parents were still very much doing everything they could to try to find her. In January of 1979, Dick Hogan published an article in the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Gazette had been able to reach Keith by telephone in Cedar Rapids, and Keith said that he would rather not comment about the investigation of the disappearance of his former wife. He had added that he had his own theories about her disappearance and the investigation, but would rather not go into them. Keith went on to have two more children and at least one additional marriage to a woman he had met in Cedar Rapids prior to Lynn's disappearance. But according to records, that marriage ended in divorce. At some point, he moved to Fruitland, Idaho, where he became a sixth grade science teacher. He took Pogo the alligator with him and would sometimes invite students to his home to feed Pogo as well. After about a decade in his teaching position, Schuler became the Payette County Coroner, which covers part of Idaho and Ontario, Oregon. 
Nearly half a century has passed without a single clue as to what happened to Lynn Schuler. The family knows nothing more today than they did on August 6, 1972. The one thing that the family knows for sure is that Lynn loved her family and her son and would have never walked away from her life. Keith Schuler remains the main and only suspect in her disappearance to this day. As of now, Lynn is presumed to have been a victim of a homicide. If you have any information regarding the disappearance or presumed homicide of Lynn Schuler, please contact the Lynn County Sheriff's Office at 319-892-6100 or the IDCI at 515-725-6010. Thank you for listening to Secrets in the Cornfield. Tune in next week for a new episode. Secrets in the Cornfield is an Anchor original. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. To help the families and provide a voice for the victims, please be sure to follow and share. You can follow Secrets in the Cornfield, Iowa's Unsolved, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.